it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Ladies and gentlemen, What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green. He's Brett Barry, And the Wildcats are back on the moral victory thing because, you know, Arizona, Brett went to Oregon, and we expected them to lose, and they did, 41-19. But this was actually a game where it wasn't... The score didn't indicate really how close the game was. And kind of like after the BYU game, I feel like most Arizona fans left the Oregon game feeling better about the program. Yeah, I I think that's right. It's, if I had told you that Arizona would fall behind 10-0 quickly, throw five turnovers, force zero turnovers, there's no chance in hell you would have thought that it was with one score game going into the fourth quarter, right? Right. <laughs> um, you know, it's there's a lot to unpack in this game. The thing that I think is most comparable to the BYU game is it goes back to what Jed Fish's stated goal at the beginning of the season was it wasn't about necessarily winning or losing, but it was about being everyone's toughest out or at least a tough out in general. And I feel like Arizona accomplished that against the number three team team in the country on the road. Nonetheless, too. Yeah. Right? With, with five um, turnovers from Jordan McLeod, five interceptions who I guess we could obviously we'll get to it later, but he is now the starting quarterback from, well, the rest of the season. Like that's the goal. Jordan McLeod is the guy. It was competitive. Arizona, like you said, but they were down 10, nothing. And it was 10-7, 17-7, 24-7. But then Arizona gets a field goal at the second quarter. Then they get a safety in the third quarter. That's another comparable thing to the BYU game. They got a safety. I imagine Arizona leads the country in safeties right now. You know, then they get a touchdown off the, off the safety punt. It's 24-19. They give a field goal 27-19. Arizona gets the ball back. They don't do anything with it. And then, of course, a couple more touchdowns, one of them being a pick six. And you have a final score of 41-19. But you're right, but Arizona... I, I imagine if you ask any fan who was at the game and if you ask the Oregon players and the Oregon coaches, that was a tough win. You know, the score be damned, that was a tough win for them. Yeah, I mean, Arizona outgained Oregon, but that's largely due to them controlling the clock. Uh, they had they clearly won the time of possession battle, almost 38 minutes to 22 of possession. Uh, Oregon was much more efficient in a yards per play situation, <laughs> largely inflated by, you know, the fourth quarter when Oregon kind of pulled away a little bit. And some of that was just the total yard difference was the the short fields uh, that maybe occurred a couple times for 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 Oregon, but you know compared to compared to what we had seen in the last couple games, especially San Diego State and BYU, you know Arizona moved the ball relatively effectively and consistently. They only punted twice, but mm-hmm. who needs a puncher when you throw five interceptions? <laughs> um, you know, they, they committed more to the run in their play calling and with some success, even if it wasn't 
necessarily in a crazy yards per carry. They got 31 first downs in that game and had, you know, seven to 15 third down uh, efficiency, which is good. That rate is what three, four times what they did in the first three games offensively. So, you know, it, you know, it wasn't a flukish competitive game from Arizona's perspective. They had a game plan that they executed fairly well. Uh, but there's just, you know, it's hard to win when you're 5-0 on the turnover battle, right? Mm-hmm. Well, then that's the thing. If you look at just the box score, it's one of those where you want to take away good things for Arizona because this is a team that lost to NAU the week before. <laughs> so if you look at it that way, like, wow, they competed with Oregon. That's great. And there are certain things you can take away from this game. Arizona's overall rushing yards per attempt wasn't wasn't amazing, but they were committed to it. Of course, Jordan McLeod having some runs in there helped with that number, both the totals, like the total amount of rushes and the yards. The third down percentage was really good. Jordan McLeod showed some nice things. And yet you look back and say the five interceptions, none of them were amazing plays by the defense. So you have the first play of the game for Arizona. It was a screen pass. They just overthrew his running back who didn't leak out far enough or whatever. That leads to three points for Oregon. He had two interceptions in the end zone. He had one that ended up being a pick six. And yet with all that, I guess up until the pick six, with all that, Arizona had a chance to win the game. And I don't know what that means because they didn't win the game. And I don't know what it means for the program going forward because the last time they had a competitive loss, they followed it up with two. Well, I don't want to say they were blown out by NAU, but if you lose to NAU, you might as well have been blown out. So it's it's yeah. hard to say that it's hard to get a comment that, hey, they can build off of this because they had a good game against BYU to open the season. They clearly didn't build off that. But for the things that we were hoping to see against Oregon and mostly a team that was going to compete, that wasn't going to quit, wasn't going to give up on the season or anything like that. Well, we saw that. So, I mean, it's a low bar. It's not like we're looking for a lot, but I think what any Arizona fan was looking for, they probably got in that game. I think the biggest takeaway from that game, you know, we'll talk more about Jordan McLeod, I'm sure, and having him clearly identified as a starter going forward. But I actually think the bigger takeaway from that game was Arizona's offensive line held their own. Yeah, where'd that come from? Pretty darn talented. You know, they weren't they weren't, you know, necessarily, you know, world beaters, but they were they were they were competitive with a very talented front seven, uh, enough to get all those first downs. Like those weren't flukes, right? Um, and it was a dramatic improvement. I don't know if some of the guys that we've thought maybe are playing hurt um got better or better scheme, better simplified, you know, game planning, uh just committing to the run more. But Jordan McLeod, I'm not even sure if he got sacked in that game. Granted, he was showed some pretty good mobility. I think he was. There yeah, was maybe, one maybe charge one sack, yeah. Um, and if you know, I think I think uh, last week or the week before, I was saying that maybe my biggest concern was the off. I could was debating between offensive line and coaching. Uh, I actually think those two things both improved in this game, and I think the quarterback play generally was better. But I think we saw what. Jordan McLeod's strengths and some of what his weaknesses are. Hopefully some of those weaknesses can be game planned around specifically, you know, I, some of those interceptions were arm strength related. Sure right? looked like it. Yeah. Um, and you, 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 you can't develop that in the matter. Of A couple the of them were just bad decisions on the, bike. the ones in the end zone, especially oh, yeah. the first one where you just try to heave it up to Barry Hill. It's like, he cost them points. It's, it's a weird thing. It's a weird dynamic. Let's get into the Jordan McLeod discussion. I think is that you could leave that game saying, He's the right quarterback for this team, and he cost that team the game. <laughs> and you could argue, too, that like I'm convinced that if they had Jordan McLeod starting against NAU, they'd beat NAU. 
just for the fact that Jordan McLeod is more accurate. He's more decisive. He can run a little bit. He has things to offer that the other quarterbacks don't have. But five interceptions, man, two in the end zone, one that led directly to three points in what was a close game. So it's I get why Jed Fish after the game says that's the quarterback. That's our guy. Because he did a lot of really good things. When he wasn't throwing interceptions, he was playing brilliant football. But those interceptions yep. were just crushing. And this is the guy who, the thing that we liked the most about him, we thought was his basic advantage, was that he'd played at this level. He's played in college. He's not going to be wide by the stage. He's not going to be confused by things. And he threw five interceptions. How many times have you watched a team or a quarterback and say, like, he threw five interceptions and say, you know what? That's the guy. Like, that's what a sign of where this quarterback battle is for Arizona, where the guy who threw five picks could be the guy. Because it wasn't like Oregon was making great plays. It's one thing. It was like, that's yeah, a tough opponent and good ball, better defensive play, or balls are being tipped and stuff. That wasn't the case. He made bad reads. He made soft throws. Like, the interceptions were bad. Those were 100% on the quarterback interceptions. And yet, we all left this game saying, yeah, he should be the guy going forward. So maybe it says less about McLeod than it does Arizona's quarterback situation, but it says something. Yeah, I think I think you're right, Adam. Um, in in what world does five interceptions make somebody say, "Yeah, that's the guy"? But also just the, <laughs> Arizona's world. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other funny thing is like the benefit of being the you know Jordan McLeod's like the the next guy up and the new guy. Like the most popular guy is the backup quarterback when the starting quarterback is isn't playing well, right? Because mm-hmm. um, if could you imagine if you had the same exact game uh, with the same exact quarterback stats from either Will Plummer or uh, Gunnar Cruz, what would the perception be right now? <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, I, I'm, I'm not convinced that people wouldn't be calling for, you know, them to be benched if, if that was the situation. Um, but, you know, Jordan McLeod showed a lot when he was good he was good when he was bad he was bad and the question is what can be corrected with understand you know especially in a bye week uh, a little bit more snaps understanding the reads um what can be just kind of coached up and what can't be and and you know i don't think he's going to have suddenly the 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 monster arm to be able to loft some of the throws that he did i'm a little concerned that you know, you have speedster, small speedsters like Tavian Cunningham that I'm just not sure he has the arm strength to take advantage of that speed right, right. Uh, against against a Pac-12 program. Um, but how much of that can you scheme around and maybe you don't need to throw the deep ball more than a couple times per game and have it have it be at the right time with the right players and right situation just to have that threat. But that if if Jed Fish defined the, the starting quarterback as the person that would move the ball most effectively, I think we found that guy but he also Jed defined Fish it should as have maybe said yeah. he also defined it as a guy yeah, who doesn't turn should, the ball over who doesn't put it in danger yeah i he maybe needs to rearrange the order of what he <laughs> how he stated it um and and amplify the second part of that because if jordan mcleod can avoid those kind of turnovers you know you can see the path to success for this team because it's a game manager offense control the clock let the defense, you know, that performed fairly has performed fairly well, but doesn't have the talent. Um, you know, the less they're on the field, the more they can maybe optimize their performance, especially if you can get, God forbid, a lead once in a while, and the defense can a what? can can. I I, I, I think they I had a lead right. against it's, NAU, so it's happened this season. I'm I kid I kid. <laughs> I was gonna say I think it's pronounced Liad. I don't know. I haven't I haven't. 
It's a silent E. It's more pronounced lad. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's, it'll be curious to see going through the the bye week and going into the UCLA game, which is also a talented team. um, You know, what Jordan McLeod will be able to do with that much prep work, right? That's the hope. And where I wonder again is it wasn't like his interceptions seemed like they were a lack of understanding the offense. It wasn't a receipt. He threw it to one spot and the receiver went the other. It was, and it wasn't even like he made, you could argue maybe the first one was a bad throw. The rest just seemed like bad decisions. The last one, I think, was just you could tell the arm strength. And that's where you mentioned the scheme, what they can do. And I think Jed Fish is going to prove what kind of an offensive slash quarterback coach he is. Because Jordan McLeod has some skills. He can move the ball. He can run. He can complete those short passes. He, I mean, he doesn't have a noodle arm. But obviously, Gunnar Cruz has the strongest arm of what we've seen. And Will Plummer has a pretty good arm. Jordan McLeod, if he has a good arm, he did not show it against Oregon. But you can win with guys like that if they're accurate. Is Jordan McLeod accurate enough to have this, you know, play the intermediate routes and that's an in? I don't know. But you can design an offense that will try to maximize whatever skill set he has. And yes, you hope that his interceptions were more just him trying to do too much, maybe in a hostile environment against a really good team. But also the veteran's not supposed to make those mistakes. They were in that game. And that's the thing you could take away if you want. Like, with all the mistakes that were made, what was it? You said 5-0 turnover battle. Now, Arizona almost got a turnover at the end of the first half. Like, they were close to an interception. It would have been a big guy interception. I think J.B. Brown, the ball is bad up, and he just missed it. I don't think he runs it back for a touchdown. But it would have been fun to see him try. Like, those things <laughs> that didn't go Arizona's way, they were in this game. And I would argue from the, I'll say, halfway through the second quarter, up until the fourth quarter, they were the better team on that field. They finished the first half strong, started the second half really strong. They were the better team, which is something you can take away because they're not the most talented team on that field. They weren't by far, but they had confidence. And a big part of that's the defense, which, yeah, they gave up 41 points, but seven were a pick six, three were the, like, just the short fields, the interceptions. Arizona's defense gave them a chance, and they got another safety. Their defensive line wasn't great against the run, but they did enough. And against the pass, like Brown for uh, Anthony Brown, Oregon's quarterback, was not particularly good. He threw three touchdowns, but completed 10 of 21 passes. Arizona's corners have been good. Their safeties, eh, they, they need some help there. It's not a deep defense. You know, 1 through 11, they don't have stars all over. But they played solid. And we look at Arizona hasn't scored more than 19 points in a game this season. The defense gave up 24, 38 to San Diego State. 21 to NAU, and I guess I don't want to say 41 because I know it's not 41 points. But what I'm getting is a defense played well enough for this team to win even this game. And I, I want to take away from this. I want to say, yeah, they figured it out. But I thought that against after they played BYU. So they have this bye week where they can, well, one, hopefully get McLeod and build an offense around Jordan McLeod. So that'll be better. And the defense can maybe get a little bit more healthy, guys who are dinged up and everything and try to just get more ingrained in the Don Brown system. Like, yeah, they should be better coming out of the bye. But for someone, if you want to take something out of this game you want that they can build off of, it's like, yes, they do have a quarterback. They've decided on that. Cool. Like, that's, that's something they didn't have. But other than that, we've seen this before. At least in week one, much of this we saw before, and it didn't transfer over to weeks two and three. So I'm glad they were competitive. I'd like to see them be competitive again, and hopefully it's a sign of things to come. But it's hard for me to be like, yeah, we're going to see this again just because they haven't proven that they can sustain or build off of a game like this. Well, on the plus side, Adam, unlike after the BYU game 
there's zero chance of them getting blown out by a team this coming weekend with the bye week. So hopefully that's you say that to learn from it. You say <laughs> that. <laughs> Don't tempt fate. <laughs> yeah, I you know I think this is a this game was if if nothing else it was a Rorschach test for Arizona fans where you could see a lot of positive things if you wanted to see that you could see the the, the holes that you wanted to see. I think all in all, um, there is more to build on than there was to be concerned about for this game, oh, and yeah. maybe even more so than the BYU game, right? Was um, a better opponent it on might, a true road game. Contextually, it yeah, was huge. And in Arizona, you know, we talked about the offensive line, but the defensive line, you know, Arizona controlled the line of scrimmage fairly well against a considerably more talented team, <laughs> right? Um, you know, there was, I think Travis Dye had a, a big long run or two that skewed the the numbers, but, you know, Verdell had averaged 4.1 yards a carry on 11 carries. And CJ Verdell is a legit running back yeah, behind good. a legit offensive line, right? Um, you know, it's, there's, there's a lot to build on. There's a lot of positive things, you know, it's, the buy is coming at a good time. Hopefully the, the people that have been playing dinged up can get a little healthier. Jordan McLeod can get more reps. Uh, the whole team can kind of figure out how to get a little more, um, you know, address some of the weaknesses. But the other, the other thing, um, just to maybe close loop on this game, Adam, like it, another thing that reminded me of the BYU game was Arizona played much more um, disciplined and together as a team. I felt like than they had in the prior two games, where some of those little fundamental things of just wide receivers blocking even moderately effectively. You know, defensive guys trying to get contained, even if you're going to get overwhelmed by some of the the, the sheer talent on Oregon. Um, people, there wasn't a lot of blown coverages necessarily. Uh, there was some sloppy tackling that was a little concerning. Uh, was which a was a little bit of a goal. backslide. They got they tried to line for a field yeah. goal towards the end of the game. Everybody's like, why are they kicking a field goal? One, they're not going to win the game. Two, try to get your kicker, have her six some confidence. Backfires when he misses, but I appreciate the attempt from Fish to try to get him going a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I've reached the point where I just assume that anytime Arizona tries to kick a field goal, it's probably going to be missed. <laughs> it's safer to do it that way. Like, you're better off. But you know, the other and the other thing I think you talked about where they had some confidence. Arizona went for it what four times on fourth down and got it all four times. Um, yeah. You know, again, some effective quarterback sneaks. So it's it's kind of an interesting bookend to the first third of the season. It is, and. It is the first third of the season. I guess we're assuming that Arizona's not going to play a 13th game this year. Brett, let's take a break, and we come back. Let's look at Arizona's first third of the season because I guess it's enough games to give them a grade. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're back. And as we talked about, Arizona played the first four of 12 games this season. Now, maybe they go on a run. They play a 13th game. That would be wonderful. But it would be silly to expect that. And if you look at all the percentages that people put out there, it's not likely for Arizona. But you could argue the rest of the schedule doesn't seem terribly daunting. <laughs> the Pac-12 South doesn't look particularly good, and they already played the best team in the North. So if Arizona like there's, if Arizona plays like they did against Oregon, they're going to win a game or two or three this season. It's hard to imagine them going winless. Now I say that knowing the last time I said they were going to win some games, they lost to San Diego State and NAU. So eh, what do I know? But Brett, if you look at those first four games, Arizona could take moral victories from two of them against the two best opponents they play. Like maybe San Diego State's really good, actually. We don't know. But BYU's ranked. Oregon's one of the top teams in the country. Arizona was within a possession in the fourth quarter against both of them and could argue their own mistakes cost them the win. It's, but that sandwiches San Diego State, where they never had a chance. They were blown out at home. And NAU. <laughs> how can you look at these first? How do you look at the first third of the season? They're 0-4, which is not... Well, they should have. Most people thought the worst would be one and three, so they're worse than most people expected. But they're that's where they're at. Yeah, I, I mentioned before the break that there's like bookends to the first third of the season, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the two best teams Arizona looked pretty competitive with the San Diego State game. I think is a is a weird wild card one. Um, I think San Diego State's probably more legit than people thought at the time. Maybe not a great team, but probably not a bad team. Um, and then, and then the NAU game, which I just, you know, boy, what happened there? Um, there's a there's a whole slew of things that went into to them losing that game. And that if you but if you look at the totality of the first third of the season, and maybe it's recency bias, but you know, against the best team you're probably going to play all season, and that's not even. Probably that's definitely a, the thing. Your sure Oregon is the like best it. team. Um, I mean, USC ain't looking too hot uh, of late. I, Washington's not looking, un, you know, unbeatable. Um, who's who's good out there? ASU's. UCLA not, not without... has been good. ASU could be good. That's about it. I, but I don't think UCLA is better than Oregon, and I'm not convinced they're better than BYU, to be no. honest. Right now you could say um, at Colorado is a winnable game. Home against Washington is a winnable game. At USC is not as losable or as unwinnable as it seemed a couple weeks ago. <laughs> home against Cal's winnable. Home against Utah's winnable. At Washington State, Washington State's not any good either. <laughs> there's, there's wins on the table for them if they play like they did in the first and fourth games of the year. And I, I think it's the... if the first third of the season taught us anything um, aside from just kind of confirming what we already kind of knew and who was going to emerge, uh, what, you know, what were strengths, what are weaknesses, who are going to be the guys that stepped up or who are the guys that kind of faded into the background. Boy, it proves uh, the significant <laughs> impact of just competent line play for the, mm. for the, for the floor and the ceiling for this team. Uh, Cause against, against the better competition with, serious uh, opposing lines on both sides of the ball in BYU and Oregon, you know, Arizona's lines on the offensive and defensive side held their own. Um, inexplicably against NAU, they did not. Right. <laughs> um, 
you know, they got kind of manhandled against San Diego State. But, I, you know, I think San Diego State's defense, if nothing else, seems pretty good. Um, but, you know, how much of that is guys maybe playing dinged up and with a lack of depth? Uh, drink everyone i mentioned depth i think i don't think it's this might be a record for how long we're into the show before i say depth um but that's it's a perfect example of why you need it in competent depth because otherwise if guys are playing hurt you you know i i don't i don't know if it's ever been confirmed but that's maybe how things like nau happen we don't have somebody that can competently step in right um but boy just getting competent play where you're not you're not falling behind in terms of your, you know, falling behind the chains in terms of you can't have second and tens, thirds and tens, and then expect to be picking up first downs, even getting three, four yards at a time and making third and four is a lot, lot more manageable situation, especially for, you know, quarterbacks in a system like Jordan McLeod. Right. Mm -hmm. And that all comes down to at least having competence along the lines. And I think that's the biggest takeaway for me from the first third of the year. Yeah. Well, Everybody knows it, but never one likes to talk about how important the offensive line play is. And defensive line play, people know that offensive line doesn't put up stats. But we knew that was going to be a big question for them. The hope was that with a new coaching staff and maybe with a return to, a return to health for some of them, they would be played better. Like they would. And three game, like the first game they played fine. The fourth game they played fine. Two and three they were miserable. So how much can you take from that? How much can you believe in them for the next eight games? I have no idea. Like you hope that injury was the issue because now they get the bye week and you'd you'd assume when they come back against UCLA that they'd be healthy and ready to go, but certainly if they don't improve, if they don't play like they did against or against Oregon, it's going to be a struggle. But they've also shown they can play like that, so why can't? <laughs> it, it, that's just where they're at right now. Otherwise, I think most of what we saw wasn't terribly unexpected. Individually, they should not have lost to NAU. That was unexpected, no matter what. But individually, we knew quarterback was going to be a question mark. Gunnar Cruz showed flashes. He has the raw ability. You know, Will Plummer is Will Plummer. He showed he did Will Plummer things. I guess Jordan McLeod, is being the starting quarterback, now wasn't a surprise. He was the experienced one. The thought was what held him back was just arriving to campus later. And that if he had been there since winter, since January, he probably would have been the starter to open the season. Well, now he's the starter. So there you go. Running-wise... Not as good, but I, how much can you put on the running backs and how much is on just the offensive line? Michael Wiley has been underwhelming, but is it his fault? Drake Anderson's been fine, but would he be better if the offensive line was better? Jalen John's same. So I have a hard time judging the running backs. I don't think they're leaving too many yards on the field, but I don't watch the game film. I don't know. Receiving, Stanley Barrel's been great. Taven Cunningham's done really well. Booby Curry stepped up the last couple of weeks. He seems like he could be a legitimate, at least possession receiver, big body receiver. So, and then defensively, I think they've been fine. Probably better than expected. Jalen Harris has had a good season. Anthony Pandy's doing well. Treshawn Hayward's been good as a run, de- you know, a run linebacker. So, it, it's at best, I think we all thought they'd be two and two right now. At worst, we thought they'd be one and three. They're zero oh and four, but the way they got to zero oh and four is so convoluted. Because if you if they would have been 0-4 and played like they did against BYU and Oregon the other two games, well, one, they wouldn't be 0-4. But you'd say, that's improvement. They are competitive. They are doing some good things. But because you have those two games in between, you can be like, the hell was that? Especially NAU. So like overall, the totality is like, yeah, okay, they're about where we expected. But how they got here is just, I, I don't know. I, I mean, honestly, Adam, I think if 
if Arizona had just found a way to not lose to NAU and was still <laughs> one and three with the other three games the same exact way, we'd probably be fairly optimistic, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it. Like I said, you have these bookends that show the promise, and then you saw the the the, the valley in between. Um, but but now it's heading into a bye week, and you're coming back against maybe your next toughest opponent in UCLA for the rest of the year, debatably. But it's doing it at home with two weeks to prepare. I don't know. I don't. You know, we'll talk about the preview next week. But it's it's certainly an interesting thing to think about if they can build off this and and ultimately have more you know you talked about uh they had more confidence and we talked about that with the getting you know going four for four on fourth downs maybe more than any sport football is a game where having confidence really makes a big difference in terms of what happens on the field right uh but probably any sport but maybe football more more than most and if they have confidence in themselves (laughs) despite being on a 15 game losing streak i'm curious to see what that what that can entail yeah I'd wondered too, and we could briefly touch on that. UCLA, of course, plays ASU this week. So we'll see how that game goes. UCLA has been good this season. But even then, as a team, and again, we'll talk about UCLA more next week, but Arizona competed with them the last couple of seasons, beat them two years ago. Their last home win was against UCLA in 2019. And I get it. They've been building a program, Chip Kelly and everything. But talent-wise, on the field, they haven't been so far apart the last couple of years. Now, does that mean that UCLA is not leaps and bounds better than Arizona is this season? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It's very possible that they are. But, yeah, with uh, an extra week to prepare, with a starting quarterback who knows he's the starting quarterback and building a game plan around that quarterback specifically, we'll see what Arizona comes out looking like because the good news for them is they got that first third of the season out of the way. And they've learned some things about themselves, both the team and also the coaches learned about some things. They're... We have to remember, this is a coaching staff that it's the first time they're all together. This Judd Fish is a first-time head coach. He's been a play caller before, but he's never pl- called plays for a team probably with as little talent as Arizona does, respective to their sport. I guess he, I don't know if he called plays for the Jaguars when he was there. That would probably be the closest for him. But <laughs> otherwise, like, he has to learn, too. He's a first-time head coach. And I do like that the players still seem to be very much behind him. We saw that in the Oregon game. They kept fighting. And I, I forget, it was, I think it was Jaden Mitchell, I think, during the game, too. He said, hey, this is what we've been talking about. When everybody's all getting mad at us, like, this is what we're talking about. You know, that they are competing, and they're going to keep competing. They believe in this coaching staff. So that could go a long way. Last season, granted, last season they had, what, one game left? They played five, I think, total. <laughs> so we, don't, we didn't get to see the progression all season long. But through four games, Arizona has been more or less what we expected to see on the field. There's been some improvement. There have been some players defensively that have been good. Christian Roland Wallace has been really good. Isaiah Rutherford's been really oh, yeah. good. Anthony Pandy's been very solid. Mo Diallo, J.B. Brown, Trevon Mason, they've been solid. Like, this is not a bad defense necessarily, and they've played fine. Offensively, it's been disappointing. But then the question is, if the offensive line finds its groove and they have a quarterback in Jordan McLeod who gets rid of the ball, knows where he's going with it, how much does that offense improve? Because the defense is going to just get better by learning, you'd think, getting more comfortable with each other. The offense was bad through the first four games. It was bad. It doesn't have to be. The two things that were holding it back, we thought, were the offensive line and quarterback play. Now, they're kind of in tandem. If you have a really bad offensive line, doesn't matter who your quarterback is, is, they're going to have trouble. But if they can solve both of those issues, or at least improve in both of those spots, the offense should improve, in which case, along with a decent defense, they're not in a bad spot for the next eight games. 
Yeah, I think on the defensive side, I'll, they got to figure out something with the safeties <laughs> because they're getting picked on. But I think it's recruiting there's classes away, man. There. Like they just don't have well, those bodies there. We, I mean, we didn't mention one of the best safeties missed the first half of the Oregon game. Jackson Turner, I think he graded out as the highest on pro football focus in the half that he played. Uh, and has been probably their best safety all year, too. And Modiello missed the first half and came in the second half and contributed to safety. So, you know, we'll see. There's, 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 so you're saying is the refs on the NAU game cost Arizona the Oregon game. Way to go, refs. <laughs> you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wish-casting for the next eight games, but I think we've seen enough to, to feel confident that Arizona's going to find a game or two to win. Yeah. I, I Looking at it, though, what do you... Like the next eight games, we want to see wins, of course. We're not expecting wins. It'd be wrong to. I still maintain that. It's hard watching a team saying it doesn't matter if they win or lose, but that's the case with this team. But the next eight games, wins aside, what are you hoping to see? Is it individual improvement? Is it, is, what is it that you say, if I see this, I'll feel pretty good about where this season went? If I see some level of consistency develop in general as a team along with some specific uh, individual improvement you know quarterback play you'd like to see improvement consistency along the o-line is maybe my biggest thing um, and i'm not asking for you know world beaters i'm just asking for competence and then i'd want i want to see improvement in that in that safety group and i think if you see just even those things um, maybe some improvement in the receiving room. I think there's some guys in the receiving room that have been disappointing a little bit, like Jalen Johnson uh, hasn't 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 popped out very much. Uh, he's got a lot of physical tools. Jamari Joyner, but he's just barely coming back. He's, hasn't gotten worked into the rotation yet uh, with 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 a lot of snaps. You know, it's. I think if you if you solve those things, the win some wins will come, and then of course I would just love for one of those wins to be. Uh, a a game that will be vacated if we lose at the end of the season. <laughs> I, I'm in a similar boat. The just the growth with individual players, of course, the growth with the coaching staff. Where if they play competitively, if they look competent out there, that shows that coaching staff has got a better grasp of this team, of their roster, and is getting the most out of it. But individually, I like to see Booby Curry continue his ascension. Make sure because he's a guy who had pretty good talent. He was fairly highly acclaimed, and he did nothing his first two seasons. He only has seven catches right now. But the last two games is where he's got the bulk of them. He's made some plays. And you say, okay, that's a talented player who maybe the old coaching staff couldn't get the most out of, but if he does now, maybe it's just natural growth. That could happen too. But to see this coaching staff take the guys who are supposed to be the best players and coach them up to be the best players would be nice. Like, yeah, it'd be great to see other guys get in there and play well. Like, Stanley Berryhill is a stud. And that was expected. He's been every bit that Taven Cunningham again, I said earlier, he's been fine like to see some of those deep balls he's got the speed but regardless there are certain players and defensively just installing that system because like, if i asked you how many sacks does this team have what would you think it is through four games uh it's five or six it's six that's a lot of sacks for an arizona team a recent arizona <laughs> team and it's not amazing i get that but there were certain things that we were hoping to see and we're seeing some of them. You'd like to see more of them. I'd like to see Jalen Harris play better. I know Jalen Harris isn't a long-term player for this program at this point, but he's a guy who has talent, who we've been waiting to see break out. And if he shows signs of that, I'll feel good about this coaching staff's ability to get the most out of that talent. 
Keon Bars, Trayshawn Hayward, who again, who transferred over, he has some talent. Seeing him put in a position to succeed, it may not, like, I'm with you. I think if they do these things, they'll win some games. It'd be hard not to. If they play well at the positions where they're not playing as well, or if guys continue to get better, they're going to win some games. But there are certain things that you can see, and the bye week is a good chance for them to reset and try to implement them. We talk about with Jordan McLeod, yeah. but for the rest of the team, too, they can get more and more into this system, more reps, and then, of course, time to heal up. Yeah, and, and one more thing that I w- you kind of sparked in me when you were talking, Adam. One thing I want to see from the defense is they've, they've done a decent job overall with being disciplined, but I would like to see them be more disruptive. And part of that is sacks, but part of that is forcing turnovers, which there just hasn't been a lot of that. I think that most was in the, maybe all were in the NAU game. I mm. think there was, what, three three turnovers in that game? Um, yeah, two interceptions. You know, J.B. Brown, fumble. you know, J.B. Brown be about five pounds lighter and you have a you have a interception return for a touchdown, J.B., in the, against Oregon at the end of the first half. But, you know, I'd rather see... I, I like seeing the discipline and with the dis with the discipline and the reps, hopefully that means people are, you know, more confident in the play calling can get a little bit more aggressive uh, at times to try to help drive some turnovers because I'm not sure the defense, while the defense has been decent, I'm not sure it's been disruptive. And I think for Arizona to win, they have to get disruptive. I don't know if they have to get disruptive. They had a chance to beat BYU and a chance to beat Oregon without being particularly disruptive if the offense stepped up. I think the defense needs to be competent, yeah. and they and Grant being disruptive would help. Creating turnovers and getting short fields would help, but I feel like defensively, and maybe that's the next step for them, right? When I talk about the progression, maybe that's the progression for this defense is to start being disruptive, start creating more turnovers and more negative plays for the offense and getting shorter fields. But even absent that, they've been competitive against two good teams. Just if the offense was better, if the offense doesn't throw the ball to the other team in the end zone, that's points given away. Well if they got into the end zone, because we've seen how the field goal kicking can be, there's no guarantee that you'll even get three. But that, to me, has been the biggest issue that's held them back so far. Now, granted, if the defense was better, you can make up for that. But I, I would not put that on the defense. <laughs> I would say the biggest source is for the offense to get better, because I don't know what the average is. Let's see, 19, then it was like 14, 19, 19, or whatever, 16. I, the, the offense hasn't been good. The defense has been fine. But if any one of those improves, goes takes it to another level, then that's going to change this team's trajectory for sure. Yeah, no, I I, I agree, Adam. Um, but I, I it, it's funny because I think there's almost been as many safeties as there's been turnovers through four games for Arizona's defense, Close. <laughs> which is disruptive in and of itself. And that has those have both been things that shifted the tide for the game. I'd like to see it in both BYU and Oregon. I'd like to see a little bit more of that. I, I wonder too. I, I don't have it in me to look up this stat, but the record for teams when they get a safety in a game. Well, like what their overall win percentage is. I feel like it has to be high because that's the type of thing that usually a good team does to a bad team is they get a safety. <laughs> it's usually not a bad team against a good team, I don't think. Like maybe I'm wrong, but both times it got Arizona going, which isn't surprising. You get two points and then a short field after that. But <laughs> and who would have thought this Arizona football team with this defense, and they would get two safeties in a season. One against Oregon. You know, I wouldn't have put money on it, Adam. <laughs> no, no. <sighs> but you know what? You, you largely, put... largely because, large, largely because I would have not put money on Arizona being able to punt uh, effectively and pin 
somebody within uh, the five yard line to put them <laughs> at risk of a safety. Well, was this one a punt or was this one of the interceptions? I think this was one of the interceptions in or against Oregon. That might have been. It might have been. This one might have been the interception. One of the arm punts. The BYU yeah. game was a punt. Yeah, the BYU game was a punt. The Oregon game was the arm punt from like the twenty-five yard line or something, which I wouldn't punt from there. But you know, we'll give Jordan McLeod the benefit of the doubt. But Brett, let's take one more break and we come back. We sent on a mailbag because we had some things to talk about. We were wondering what Arizona fans wanted to hear about this week. So let's get to those questions after this break. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back. One more segment here. It's mailbag time. We send it out on the Wildcat Radio Twitter account. Wildcat Radio AZ is the handle. We want to know what you wanted to know. And Brett, we got some questions. Let's hear them. All right. The first question is from hashtag it's personal, a.k.a. at AZ bear underscore down. Now that we are one third of the way through the season, name two players on each side of the ball as your defensive and offensive MVPs. Additionally, who are two players on offense and defense who you anticipate having a big rest of the season? Well, I guess offensive MVP would have to be Stanley Berryhill, right? I don't know if you could go with anyone else. He's been just great. Only has the one touch with 33 catches, 338 yards, and he has been the offense for large portions of the season. I, I Would you agree with that? Is he your offensive MVP as well? Yeah, I was, I was going to say, can we just name Stanley Barry Hill twice? Because <laughs> um, it's, it's Stanley Barry Hill, and then, um, shall we say, inconsistency, uh, followed by underperformance. I mean, maybe Drake Anderson. Guys sh- He's been solid. Yeah, may, he, he might be, but if, you know, if you look at his stats and performance, and if he's one of your two MVPs on the offensive side of the ball, that explains where our offense has been. Yes. Um, and if your best quarterback has played in one game or started one game and threw five interceptions <laughs> in said game, um, you know, it, it kind of limits that. It all uh, makes so sense, Brett. Why their maybe, offense has been bad, it all makes sense. <laughs> it's not a mystery. No. Um, yeah, I think that Drake Anderson as a second one is a, is a reasonable answer. Um, in terms of, I'll, t- I'll maybe lead off the second part of that for the offensive side of two or two players on offense you anticipate having a big rest of the season. Man, I would I would love to say it's going to be Bryce Wolma. I'm not. He got a little more involved. I'm just not sure that they've quite figured that out. But I actually wonder if Jordan McLeod, um, knowing his arm strength limitations, if he's going to look more and more to the tight end, and maybe he can be a guy that steps up and breaks out a little bit. Um, I think, and I think maybe on the other, on the other, uh, spot there of who may break out, I think, I think one of the guys that's shown flashes that if he can continue the trajectory we talked about earlier is, is maybe Booby Curry. He's got a guy that was a, you know, a high three, low four star guy also has the size to actually be a blocker on those bubble screens that makes it easier to see the field. And if he's able to trust his athletic ability a little bit more i think even the coaching staff kevin cummings was saying he doesn't think booby curry is comfortable with how fast he can be if he Mm. if he if he realized it um 
you know, I think there's a decent chance for him to take a leap uh, in the second in the, or the, the, the latter two thirds of the season. I can agree with you on Booby Curry. He seems the most likely guy who hasn't been great up to this point or hasn't been above average who could reach that level, could have, has room for improvement. He certainly does. Drake Anderson, though, is a guy who I think his numbers will really skyrocket because I feel like we started to see him take over as a number one running back against Oregon. He was the first one out there, if I'm not mistaken, and not Michael Wiley. And he's quick in the hole. He's decisive. And he's a really good pass catcher, too. And his experience, I think, shows out there. And when you have a quarterback, like you're saying, Jerome McClary, who may not have the best arm, but he's going to need guys to dump the ball out to him. Now, Wiley can catch the ball out of the backfield, too. He's not inept in that regard. But Drake Anderson is kind of like that third down style back that you think. Now, he's been better than that, of course, but he has those skills to be the guy who can catch the ball out of the backfield, who can block, who can be the receiver on screen passes, an actual screen pass, which they tried first play of the game. It didn't go so well, but they tried an actual screen pass to the running back. So I think Drake Anderson is a guy who he is their leading rusher. But it wouldn't shock me to see him get the bulk of the carries, at least for the foreseeable future, in which case his numbers will be that much better. But I agree with you, Curry is a really good choice for another playing offense who could really break out and improve over the you know, second two or the next two-thirds of the season because the, the talent is there. We've seen it. We really have. And hopefully it's being unlocked. Defensively, How about though, the defense, Adam? Yeah, uh, the best players usually it's – Christian Rowan Wallace, he doesn't have the stats because no one throws at him. He has one interception, but he's made some plays. He had a penalty, I think, in the NAU game that was rough. But he's every bit as good as we were hoping he'd be as a cornerback. And I would say after that, probably Anthony Pandy. He's where he needs to be. He, He doesn't have the sacks, doesn't have the tackles for a loss, but he leads this team in tackles, which means he's doing his job. So he's a guy, has one forced fumble. But player who was expected to be solid, he's a veteran leader on this team, and he has a tough job, but I think he's played his position very, very well. I think those would be the two MVPs, but also neither one of those guys are putting up huge stats, but also no one on the defense is putting up huge stats. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm tempted to just say both Christian Roland Wallace and Isaiah Rutherford because nobody's throwing to them. The, the Where Arizona's getting beaten is up the middle in, in the passes against the safeties. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I think Roland Wallace is the better one there. I think a guy who has been low key, even if the stats haven't shown it, but has low key really been a key instrumental play player on the defensive side is Jalen Harris. Yeah. Um. You know, yeah. he 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 made a play in coverage. He's been disruptive, even if he's not getting the sacks. You can tell that they added bulk on him, and the experience is starting to show up a little bit. And it's at some point, it's only a matter of time for the stats to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's been maybe the most consistent anchor on a decent defensive line so far. Um, I, and then in terms of uh, people who I expect to have a, you know, to really blow up in the second or the last two thirds on defense, you know, I'm on the Trayvon Mason train. I've been mm-hmm. on the Trayvon Mason train for a while. Uh, I think he missed, uh, was he was the NAU game that he missed mm-hmm. uh, due, due to injury? I think, um, you know, he he made some plays. He was involved. You know, anytime there's a big play, he seems to be involved in those, um, you know, often with a couple of his other uh, running mates on the defensive line. But I think he's got the size and ability that I think he can kind of he, he can be more disruptive than than most can. Uh, and then my my other one that I think is going to have a we've already seen flashes of him. We said his name a time or two. Um, 
Jackson Turner, I think, is a guy that is going to be a very key player uh, at, a, at a very key position for the for the Wildcats of the last two thirds of the season. He's a hard hitter. He's pretty good in coverage. He's a really balanced all around player that I think if he puts it all together, he can do he can do some really good things. All right, I'm going to go with a couple of different guys. Mo Diallo is one of my guys there. We saw that he missed the second half of the NAU game. He missed the first half of the Oregon game. You mentioned how he came in against Oregon. It was a big part of that safety. He arrived on the team very, very late in the process, but he has his size, and I think as he gets into shape and really gets into it with this team and this defense, we see what he's capable of, just collapsing the pocket and things that he did there. And I'm not going to say having him, not having him for the second half against NAU is why they lost that game because, no, they should be able to beat him without Mo Diallo, but not having him on the field did not help that defense. And then the other guy I was thinking was Kenny Abair. And he's had a decent start to this season, but there's been a few plays where it's like he just misses making that play. It's usually sacks. He gets in there. He's where he should be, just doesn't finish. Now, maybe that's why he was at Vanderbilt and he transferred. Maybe he isn't skilled enough or talented enough to make those plays consistently, but he's in position and he's getting chances. And I and that's probably partly because of guys like Jalen Harris doing their job. Right? If you're focusing on some of these other players, Kenny Abair can go in there and have a little bit less attention on him. But he's already got a sack on the season, two and a half tackles for loss. He's been around to make a lot of plays. He has an interception. Like He's done a lot of things, but when you watch, like he could have done a few more. There's a couple more sacks, a couple more tackles for losses that he could have had, and I think he's going to start getting those. Because the guy knows where he should be, and he gets there. He's just got to finish, and I'm anticipating that he will. So that, those are my two defensive guys who are going to step up in the final two-thirds of the season. I, I like both those answers, Adam. Thanks. And our, our, second, qu- our second question this evening uh, came from at T. Suarez 31. Of the current 2022 class, how many are potential week one starters? Also, unless McLeod goes 6-2 and two the rest of the way, any chance <laughs> Fafita is not the number one quarterback uh, opening week well the first question we'll have a lot better idea of by the end of this season which guys leave and also where they need help but Keon Burnett seems like he's going to be impossible to keep the field Sterling Lane should find his way into the field like the, the top of this class should find reps whether as starters or rotation players it's going to be hard to keep guys like that off the field right like I don't have a number but you know, Tyler Martin's a good one a good linebacker Zeke Barry's a good defensive back they'll find a place for these guys on the field, I would think. Yeah, I think that the easy answer is Keon Burnett is the safest bet to see a lot of play playing time early because I think he's just that much of a freak athlete. Um, you know, I think Zeke Barry, as long as they can keep him committed and the weakness at the safety well, spot... Well, that's all of these players. Uh, they is can a keep guy... them committed until they sign. Well, he's not the only one. Yeah, but I mean, but, but the, you know, part of it, is even the guys that are the highly touted guys, you hope they don't have to be week one starters if some of the young guys on the current roster develop like they, that you want, right? You know, Tyler Martin's a guy who I think could play early, but, you know, is a guy we haven't seen play a lot yet is Malik Reed. And is he, mm-hmm. is Tyler Martin going to be good enough to leap him, right? Um, the linebacking room this year is not that bad. When Trayshawn Howard came back, you got Kenny A. Bear, you have Anthony Pandy. There, there, you know, it's it's a, almost a little bit of an unknown of what the depth is there at linebacker, and most of the spots where these 2022 commits uh, that would play early, it probably tells you more about how weak the roster spot is than how uh, talented the the commit is. 
Um, I could say some of the same things about like Chiron Chambers. If you know Christian Roland Wallace leaves, he might challenge for a starting spot. Just, but that's more a reflection of the lack of depth behind our top two this year, right? Yeah. I, so there's, there's. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I say it's it's that dynamic of in a perfect world you're not relying on any of these guys, but also in a good world, a lot of them are ready to play day one. Like there are freshmen who go out there in college football, in big time college football, and play key roles on good teams on their freshman in their first season like it does happen and Arizona hasn't had many of those guys in the past I think Kadeem Carey could have been he didn't play a lot his freshman year by his sophomore year he was the guy and was great but Kim Burnett seems to have the talent to play day one and it's not just gonna be to a lack of options on the team Sterling Lane has the size and we've seen some of the highlights he looks really good I but, yeah, do you want all these guys to have to be contributors week one next year? No. But I think with certain positions, if they are contributors, it's a good sign. Yeah, I mean, if, if, both, Har- if both Harris brothers are back, you know, is Sterling Lane starting over either of them? You hope not, right? Um, because but you if hope he that is, the, the, maybe the, that's the Harris a good brothers sign. are great. Well, I mean... But, <laughs> That's where it, you, you'll see, right? And that's on, where along the last the lines, eight games probably matter. the hardest spot. That's where the last eight games matter because yeah. if the Harris brothers come out and play really well, like one of them could leave. But if a lot of these players that we're watching now play really well and solidify their spots on this roster for next season, then that creates less likelihood for some of these freshmen to play, at least play a significant role early in the season. Like that's possible. And maybe that's what you're hoping to see. You're hoping to see the Harris brothers play well. You're hoping to see the cornerbacks continue to play well, the linebackers to play well, right? If that happens, then you're saying, well, Sterling Lane, you'll be in the rotation, but you don't, we're not going to rely on you week one to be a starter, to play 40 snaps or whatever it may be. Like that's the goal, but we'll find out a lot more over the next, what, nine weeks? Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> To, to be uh, give a sneaky answer, the most likely 2022 commit to start next year is the uncommitted transfer, physically mature offensive linemen or two that are out there. Because um, that's the position where it's probably the most opportunity for playing time, but also yeah. maybe the hardest one for a true high school freshman to come in and be physically and mentally ready for. Um, what other player who might get some playing time uh, early just due to sheer size and raw ability as as uh, AJ Jones a 64 mm. receiver yeah he's big uh, you know there's a big gap there's a big gap in uh, <laughs> or lack of height in general in the in the Wildcats um, receiving core and of course when whenever T-Mac decides to come home and uh, join his Servite friends he will start day one I'm <laughs> quite sure <laughs> yeah, hopefully you speak that into existence let it be trying to trying trying to wish cast and then which I, wh- I think that leads us into the the second question, Adam, which was um, that it, it's more of a, a more of a statement initially. Unless Jordan McLeod goes six and two the rest of the way, is there any chance Fafita is not quarterback one uh, opening week next year? Yeah, there is. It's not easy for a freshman to come in at quarterback and be the guy, right? Like we watched Gunnar Cruz is a decent commit. He a high school player. He had a good career. Will Plummer was a three-star. Fafita looks great in the highlight videos, and he should be the guy in the future. I get that. But these are going to be he's going to be going against guys who have had time in this system, and they're more physically mature. So Jordan McLeod has experience. If he plays well, or if he plays decent, if they if not six and two, if they go, what, three and five, there's a chance he's the starter if he plays well over that stretch. And then 
maybe ideally Fafita doesn't have to start week one. Maybe you'd like to let him learn the offense and not have to be the guy. Like if he's the starter week one next year, I even a new Solomon redshirted a year. Like the best Arizona quarterbacks did not start their freshman season. And Fafita, as great as he looks, he's not that can't miss talent that you know day one, like he's the guy. He's not on that level. Doesn't mean he can't be that good. Doesn't mean he won't be that good. But I could see a word where he's not starting week one next season. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, uh, <laughs> ironically, Adam, I think the best chance of Noah Fafita having the an increased uh, likelihood of starting is if T-Mac also comes and Jed Fish is like, <laughs> you know, I'm not guaranteeing any starting spots, but, you know, wink, wink. Um, you know, I, I do think Fafita is a guy that if he was three inches taller would be among the, like, can't-miss type guys that would be threatening to start uh, in most programs he early. He's three inches taller. He's not committed to Arizona. Well, that's also true. Uh, I mean, but we're also talking about a hypothetical situation that T. Suarez 31 said uh, that there's a world in which Jordan McLeod goes six and two the rest of the way, which, <laughs> you know, that's that's unlikely to happen. Um, I I think it's going to be I think they're going to go back to a basically wide open competition. Um, we'll see if if any of the existing quarterback roster transfers out as well. Um, you know, I think Jordan McLeod, if he plays. You know, if he if he plays like he did against Oregon with, you know, maybe only three interceptions <laughs> per game, <laughs> you know, uh, you might you might win a game or two. But I don't think that does anything to say that you are the guy that can't be challenged. I think Jed Fish is going to give Noah Fafita every opportunity to win the job. Um, yeah, I mean, he's coming from a powerhouse program, played in, you know, played against some powerhouse schools in in, in L.A., uh, you know, every everything you see of him on the in game clips and interviews seems like he's a really, you know, while he's undersized, he's very mature mm-hmm. uh, and even physically mature. He's got a really strong arm, seems to be, you know, he's got a lot of skills you can work with everything basically but height, um, you know, and maybe Jed Fish is going to take this year and learn how to pare down his playbook from 200 plays to something that's more manageable for an 18 year old to come in and run. Um, and then gradually grow with the, the with no Fafita over time. Um, you know, I think if the season is kind of like what we expect, maybe Arizona wins two games, maybe three if it go, if things go great the rest of the way. Um, I think it's fifty fifty. No Fafita starts game one at best. Uh, yeah. I, so I think there's definitely a chance he's not starting game one. Yeah, I think it's a high chance. It. I don't think Jed Fish recruited Noah Fafita hoping that he would be the starter next year. Now, granted, he was hoping Gunnar Cruz or Will Plummer or Jordan McLeod would take the job this year, and right now it's McLeod's turn to try to solidify himself as a starter. If he plays well enough, he will go into camp next season as the presumed starter. And then it'll be up to Fafita to try to win the job or to McLeod, for McLeod to lose a job, and I think that's what it comes down to is the rest of the season. Do any of the three quarterbacks, McLeod, Cruz, or Plummer, establish themselves as the favorite going into next season. If it's if Jordan McLeod averages five interceptions a game, then no, it's going to be a wide open competition. But if he plays decent and he comes back next season, then he enters camp with a leg up. I think Fafita, I read he's supposed to maybe make it to campus in January, which would help his chances of taking the QB one job next year. But then the same goes for every other quarterback who's on this roster. They've been with the system. They've been with these receivers. They've been running this. They've a lot of these guys, all three of them have seen pac 12. Well, I guess, Gunnar Cruz and Will Plummer haven't seen Pac-12 defenses yet. 
Well, Cruz did. They both have in uh, their freshman seasons, their true freshman seasons. But my point is these guys will have experience that Noah Fafita will not have, both in the system and at the college level. And, of course, they're going to be older, a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger. So hey, we all joke, and, yeah, Fafita looks great, and I can't wait to see that kid get to campus. Uh, he looks phenomenal. He looks like the type of guy you could build a program around and be really excited about that. And I know we both are very pumped for the Noah Fafita era when it happens, when it begins. I'm just not sure the goal is for it to happen week one. And if we know anything about Jed Fish, he'll, he's willing to play whoever he thinks he's going to win with, but he doesn't marry himself to any quarterback. So even though Fafita is going to be his first true commitment, his first true freshman commitment, I don't think he's going to feel any loyalty to Noah Fafita and saying, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I think Jordan McLeod has the advantage right now. If he finishes the season competently, then he'll have the advantage going into next fall. Yeah, I think you raised a really good point, though, too, Adam, where if Noah Fafita comes in um, in January and is able to get you know get reps in spring ball, that significantly increases the chances for him to start. Otherwise, if he's not able to join until the fall camp, the future uh, of the quarterback position is very McCloudy. I'll see myself out. All right. With that, thank you, everyone, for the questions for the mailbag. We'll do that every now and then, of course, just because we want to know what you're thinking. And a third of the way through the season seemed like a good time. Of course, remember the Twitter handle is at Wildcat Radio AZ, often tweeting during the games and just whenever there's Arizona news. And tweet back to us. We'll like to have conversations. Tweet us some images, some moving images, the initials of which I am not good at pronouncing. I don't want to mess up. So moving images on the Twitter machine. We always appreciate those. Just say GIFs. GIFs. <laughs> yes, those things. <laughs> well, we also appreciate you listening to this show, of course, and make sure you are subscribed to us on iTunes, on Spotify. Rate us and review us on iTunes, and we will read that review on the air. Whatever it is, good, bad, or otherwise, we will read that on the air. I don't think we have any new reviews this week, Brett. We're going to go with that. So nope. leave reviews. You'll get your name heard. You don't get to do it anonymously. We're not that nice. But we will read your review and be happy to do it because we like the, I don't know, we like the back and forth with our listeners because, again, we appreciate you all. So we got a big show kind of in the works for next week as Arizona enjoys the bye week this week. So everyone, Arizona will not lose this weekend. So that's neat. Like that's, that's new. Yay. Yeah, that, that hasn't happened in a while where there's been a college football week that Arizona has not lost. Yeah, I mean, that's. It's been, a, it's been it's been a it's been a minute <laughs> unfortunately by the the next time they play a game it'll have been two years two actual calendar years since their last win so that's what happens when you lose 15 straight like there's there's time that passes <laughs> well adam before before you can win you have to not lose that's true. and maybe that's this weekend maybe that's this weekend there you go i like it so yeah we'll talk about the ucla game and also kind of reset the season a little bit more next week on wildcat radio 2.0 But until then, thank you for listening, and remember to bear down. Bear down.